Good morning, Northbrook. Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. This is Jeremy. He will be reading it in Arabic, and then I will read it in English. وَأَنْتُمْ أَيْدًا يَهُوْ الْزَوَّجِ عَمَلُوا الْزَوَّجْتُكُمْ بِتِفْحُمْ الْأَنْهُونْ الجنس الْعَدَّفُ فِكْرْ مَعْهُونْ كَشْرَ يَحْتُونْ لَكُمْ فِي نُوَاءَلْ نُوَعْمَانْ الْحَيَاةَ الْجَدِيدِ أَفَالَهُ حَاذَ لِكَ تُعَكْسُؤُلُوا أَحْدُكُمْ Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. I still love that we continue that tradition. That's something we started as we were going through a series on global missions um, and just one of the kind of simple ways we feel like we can celebrate the diversity of our God and who he is. He's created a diverse people uh, right now on the globe. He is saving a diverse people. uh, And one of the ways we can highlight that diversity is reading his word uh, in different languages. And so uh, it's always encouraging to me, even though, I, well, I know what the Bible says, but I would have no idea what the other language is saying any of the times, because uh, I don't know any other language. But, you know, we have people that do, so praise God for that. Um, we are continuing on in First Peter. Uh, Steve uh, hopped back into First Peter last week, and then we'll be in First Peter uh, through basically probably the end of February. Um, and it's I, I, I took a couple weeks or a couple weeks ago. I took uh, a day just to pray and consider and read. I actually got together with uh, some of you will know uh, the pastor at uh, Redemption Story and City Church, Neil Batman and Jeff Jameson, and we got together and we all just kind of prayed together and worked on uh, the, what we have going on at, at our respective churches. It was just a really sweet, encouraging time. And it was a really good time for me to consider First Peter and what God has in store for us uh, over the next several weeks. And so uh, even as you, whatever Bible reading plan you're on, if you want to continue to dwell on First Peter uh, in addition to that and just uh, drink in the rich truth that God has for us in, in this letter, uh, that would not be time uh, wasted. And so, so we've gone a little out of order. Uh, you know, we did, we preached on First uh, Peter 3, 1 through 6, a handful of weeks ago, uh, and then I was saving verse 7 uh, just to be able to direct uh, this sermon directly to husbands. So we uh, talked to the wives, uh, then Steve preached last week, and this week we're going to talk directly uh, to the husbands. And as I was thinking, uh, kind of praying and considering just before I was going to come up, I was like, man, how are husbands going to hear this? Is this one of those, you know, like, you know, because sometimes we're too hard on guys and, and we need to encourage uh, one another, uh, and then sometimes there's things that we're struggling with and we need to kind of uh, be honest about that. And I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go, but uh, you can let me know uh, whether it is encouraging or hard or whatnot. But uh, here we go. So uh, in their book, if you haven't read it, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller, I would encourage you to. And they say this. Say, never before in history has there been a society filled with people so idealistic and what they are seeking in a spouse. And I think that idealism, they're talking about getting ready and preparing for marriage, and I think that's incredibly true. But obviously, as someone who's been married for 
Ooh, I should have figured this out uh, before this moment. 15 years, we just had our anniversary, 15 years in January. Uh, uh, that idealism and that struggle with idealism, it continues in marriage. It's not just as we look for a spouse, but it's actually as we interact as uh, husbands and wife. And I actually, maybe you've picked up on it, maybe you haven't, but I feel like I talk about idealism a, a good bit and almost always in a negative way because I think it uh, gets in the way of us enjoying real life. Like when we're idealistic about almost anything, it, it gets in the way of us enjoying whatever that actually uh, is. And so I think it needs to be pressed against. Just think about areas of your life that you're most dissatisfied with, whatever that is. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it is marriage. Maybe there's struggles there. Maybe it's a particular suffering. Maybe it's a parenting issue. Maybe it's work. Uh, whatever it is, the things you want for yourself in that area are likely good things. Uh, you're likely wanting to try to navigate it well. You're wanting to be wise. You're wanting to be godly and faithful. And you're wanting to, uh, you know, figure out how to best go about whatever that is. But here's, here's how idealism kind of creeps in to even those things. It, is it kind of whispers, if you were doing it right, if you were doing all you should be doing, it, it would be easy. It, it would be easier than it really is. That's the lie of idealism is that life in whatever area should be easy. Um, and, and so the lie and what, what happens in the other aspect of that lie is like, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you that you need to fix. You need to go get the right advice. You need to go see the right person. You need to go do whatever you need to do so that it will actually be easier. Or this is where conflict comes in. You're, you are actually are doing right, but there's someone else in your life that's messing everything up. Um, and they're getting in the way of your idealistic view of whatever this is. Uh, as opposed to the reality that there's much joy in life, but life's also hard. Um, and there's a comfort and an ease that we're grabbing for uh, that gets in the way of us enjoying what's actually going on uh, in our life. And, and we live in a culture that just amplifies and reinforces this message. You think about any romantic comedy or drama, and that's all, it's all written in an idealistic way. Even the romantic comedies or dramas that have like really hard things that happen, if you watch them, you typically see people that respond to those hard things in almost perfect ways. Um, and so it's just this idealistic picture of even the hard, it's kind of romantic and cool and uh, whatnot, or uh, just listen to any pop music, which I enjoy pop music, whatever that makes me. Um, and, uh, but they're either, they're idealistic about two things, sex and breaking up. Those are the two things that most pop songs are about. Uh, and they have very idealistic views uh, of those two areas. So that's just reinforced in uh, the culture that we're in. Um, and then we see idealism in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 19, you may be familiar with the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus looking to inherit eternal life. Just think about this for a second. Like if you're a Christian and someone comes up to you and says, hey, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? Like if someone asked me that question, I'm thinking, praise God, prayers are answered. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm getting the baptism waters ready. I'm like, this is, this is a good thing. And all of that is probably a good response to have. But Jesus is, is infinitely wise. Uh, and, and sees through uh, people and their questions in ways that, that we can't. Um, and he sees that this young man has an idealistic view of what it means to follow him. Uh, you can't give Jesus part of your life. He can't give Jesus part of his life. You can't either, that we have to give Jesus every aspect of our life. So Jesus tells the young man in Matthew 19, 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what, what, you, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come 
and follow me. Jesus pressing against the idealistic view of what it looks like to follow him. The, the writer of this letter, Peter, he struggled uh, with idealism. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Peter's mind, there was obviously no way that the path of the Messiah included suffering. Um, but the incredible thing is God moves and God works and God grows people. So Peter went from that, believing that the path of Messiah in no way could include suffering, to writing a verse that we'll get into here in a few weeks, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus, uh, Peter goes from idealism to embracing suffering as an ordinary part of life. So, husbands, or men that desire to be husbands. But without even making a specific connection yet, I think maybe you could see how idealism might have a negative impact on your view of marriage or on the marriage that you're actually in uh, right now. And if we're not careful, we'll swing the pendulum the other direction and we'll just move to cynicism. That's idealism's evil cousin. Like everything's wrong all the time and nothing ever goes good. That's not, that's not the road. Uh, obviously, the answer to our, to our idealism really is 1 Peter uh, 3, 7 and, and what God will have for us in this verse. Uh, there is much joy to be had in marriage. There, there truly is. Deep, soul-satisfying intimacy, friendship, comfort and sorrows, partnership and success. There's so much to be had in marriage, but we have to see the lie that that road to joy is an idealistic road. Uh, we have to see that that lie is real. We have to lay it down and follow Jesus on this 1 Peter 3, 7 road. So if you look at uh, 1 Peter 3, 7, you'll see that there's really two commands and two motivations. If you just look at it uh, generally, the two commands are to live with your wife in an understanding way and to show honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. And then there's two motivations, because they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and so that your prayers won't be hindered. So I've taken those two commands and motivations and turned them into five points, a real fish and loaves kind of situation. Uh, in this situation, two plus two equals five somehow. Um, and so husbands, here's, here's what we'll see. Uh, husbands, you need to understand your wife. You need to live with your wife. You need to honor your wife. You need to remind your wife. And you need to pray. So... First part, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In the Greek, it's actually live with your wife according to knowledge. It's straightforward uh, that we should get to know and understand and spend a good part of our life considering uh, our wives. But it's an obvious question, what does it mean to live with our wife in an understanding way? Uh, Ephesians 5, you know, where Paul talks about marriage, is a great complement to 1 Peter 3. Uh, they have, say some of the same things, uh, but they also complement each other incredibly well. And uh, Ephesians 5 gets a little more explicitly at the purpose of marriage. Like, why are we married? And this will help us understand this. Uh, Ephesians 5.32, uh, at the end, as uh, Paul has talked about marriage and all that's going on there, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
So simply, marriage is to reflect the relationship between Jesus and the church. As the church submits to Jesus, wives should submit to their husbands. As Jesus laid down his life for the church, husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. Now again, culturally, some of those words throw us off. But if you just think of that as any marriage, it's perfect. Like it really is. God's word is perfectly wise. There, there is no picture of us living that out that leads to an unhealthy, uh, bad marriage. And that is the picture of what leads to health in our marriages. That's not what all of this sermon's about. We're going to get to husbands. But the, so the kind of love that husbands should show their wife also has a purpose that Paul gets at in verse 26. It's saying, so that as we love our wives, as Christ loved the church, as we sacrifice for them, there's a purpose to it. It's in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So I say all of this to help us understand, understanding our wives isn't about knowing their favorite candy bar or their Thai food order. Like those are good things. It's a hundred grand and Massimon curry, spicy level two. If you want to ask Ginger, I think she'll give you those answers. So those are good things. But that's not what uh, Peter is getting at when he's talking about uh, understanding uh, our wives. If you're, as a husband, looking like the, be- the five best ways to become a better husband, uh, you-, you need just stop doing that before you realize the five best ways to becoming a better husband have everything to do with Jesus. And more of Jesus for your wife, more of Jesus for your marriage, more of who he is, more of your wife being sanctified and washed in the water of his word and his purposes and what he wants for her what he has for her, what he says about her. Um, so, so much of our, our living with our wives in an understanding way, I press against it in this way, because as we think about living with our wives in an understanding way and we try to figure out exactly what they need or get to know them better, to be honest with you, some of that, much of that, is often about our own selfish desires. That uh, one of the main motivations for us husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way is so that we might get what we want. Whether that's more sex, whether that's more time, whether that's to spend money on something we want. That like much of our, our interacting and responding to our wives is about what we want. And that in and of itself is not living with your wife in an understanding way. Um, that's what uh, the scriptures would press against. Um, obviously, there might be real issues in your marriage that need to be addressed. There are real, real issues in all of our marriages that need to be addressed. So I'm not saying none of the, those other things don't matter. Uh, but that is different than making the goal of your interactions with your spouse getting what you want. Uh, when marriage becomes more about, there's compromise in marriage. But when marriage becomes about compromising, that is a road to disunity, not a road to unity. Um, uh, marriage is about Christ and the church. Um, if, and if you just think about it, if more of Jesus for our wives is the goal of understanding our wives, it just changes our whole perspective. Like that, and that, that change just leads to freedom. When the goal of understanding our wife is to get this thing that we want, we're bound to getting this thing that we want. When our goal of, wi- or our wives, our goal of understanding our wives is that they might have more of Jesus, we're bound to just, we're, we're free to like know who they are and to look at them for where they're at and try to understand what's going on in their life and what God wants for them in whatever area uh, that is. 
It just changes our perspective. So we can ask questions and, and really just want to know uh, good, want good for them. And so questions that we should consider as, as we want to live with our wives in an understanding way. How is she doing spiritually? How is she doing emotionally? How is she doing relationally? How is she doing physically? And again, we don't just ask these kinds of questions to solve problems. Uh, or we don't just ask them because there's these, these, struggles in these areas that are impacting us in a negative way. But it's because Jesus wants real things for our wives in these areas of their life. Uh, and, and we want more of Jesus for them. And so we want to understand them. That's our goal of understanding our wives. What gifts do they have? And how can we encourage their use in the church? Um, where is she struggling? How can we pray for her and be a part of God's comfort to her? If you have kids, how are her relationships with the kids going? Is there anything to pray about there? If your wife homeschools, how's that going? If your wife works, how is that going? These are the things that we uh, should consider about what's going on uh, in the areas of our wife's life. Uh, again, so that we might consider and think about and pray and try to understand what does it look like for her to have more of Jesus uh, in these areas. And even asking those questions, maybe some, some, some of you are really good at questions. Me and Ginger both are kind of counseling types, so questions come really naturally uh, to us. And uh, we, it's, it's not hard for us to have those conversations. Uh, but some of you, you're just genuinely not gifted in coming up with questions, and that's fine. God hasn't made you that way. He's gifted you in other ways. And so this is an area where I need help in other areas. You need help in this area, and you need to write out some questions. You need to have some regular questions that uh, you come back to uh, so you can... Uh, uh, you know, kind of fill in that gap where you struggle. And it's also, it's not this, it's not that I, we're all busy. Uh, we're, it's, it's, uh, I was just talking to Reed and I was talking how me and Ginger used to go through, uh, regularly go through this uh, marriage journal. And it's been a long time since we've gone through that marriage journal and realized like busyness has just kind of crept in. Um, and those have some kind of built-in questions uh, that we go through. But it's not about just, you know, taking an hour extra every day to, to study and get to know your wife. It's just the time that you already have that we would be intentional with it. That, that our goal would be more of Jesus for them in such a way that when we are with them, uh, we are wanting to know how they're doing uh, in these ways. Just being intentional with the time uh, that we already have. And so we need to live with our wives in this kind of understanding way. Again, not just knowing the, their preferences and their likes, uh, but how are they doing with Jesus and what does he want for them? Not about us, but about uh, getting more of him. And then Peter is, is so wise. He understands that if, we just, if he just tells us to know our wives, we, we actually might end there. Uh, but as we all know from G.I. Joe, Joe, knowing is half the battle. I, was just, I didn't know if I'd get any response there. I'm really proud of the, those of us that are 40-ish and, and know the rest of that uh, line. Uh, knowing is half the battle. Um, and so as we get to know our wives and strive, we, we need to strive to respond to them based uh, on that knowledge. We don't just understand our wives, but we live with them. That means we, we do something based on uh, the knowledge we have. So that's the second point, that we need to live with our wives. That's what Peter is saying. He's not just saying understand them, but how you're actually living, the things you're doing, the choices you're making is actually in response to that understanding. Based on your understanding of who your wife is, her personality, her passions, and how she is doing, what do you need to do? What do you need to try and do? Do you need to celebrate accomplishments? Do you need to remember and grieve a loss? 
Do you need to create space for her passions? What, uh, and, and this is where, really where y'all have to kind of help up apply this verse to you specifically because we're all different here. Our wives are different. Our situations are different. This looks different now than it looked for me and Ginger five, ten years ago. Uh, based on the season you're in, what, do you, what are some things that you might need to do? One, to again, maybe even begin to understand your wife a little bit more, but also respond and live according to uh, that knowledge. So I would encourage you to think uh, about some ways that you can do that. Here's a handful of just practical things uh, that I'll give you as um, as kind of a response to this. Uh, one of these, so uh, a while back, I think it was all community group leaders, me and the elders, uh, we went through what's called a prepare and rich uh, assessment. It's something me and Ginger are licensed in, and it's just an assessment, and then you, it's kind of, you get all this information and you, you talk about it. If any of you, if uh, any of you want to go through that, any of you are like, man, I'd love to just kind of get a better understanding of where we're at uh, in our marriage in this way and how we're uh, relating uh, with one another, uh, we, we, I'm happy to, to walk through that with you. I'm happy for, to, to send that to you. You can reach out to me. I'll send you it, take you probably 20, 30 minutes each to, to fill it out, and then we could have a meeting and, and, and discuss it. And that could be a helpful, practical next step. Uh, there's so many different kind of little, uh, like I said, like little marriage journals that you can get uh, to discuss and talk about uh, on a regular basis what's going on uh, in your marriage and in each other's life. Um, I think uh, one of the good things when you have, uh, Ed Welch says this in um, I think walking with one another, one of his books, he's a biblical counselor, and he says this, he says, the more stuck you are, uh, the more you need to broaden the circle of people that know about that issue. So like when you're stuck and you're isolated, you're probably going to stay stuck and isolated. Uh, when you're stuck and you bring someone into that and you're still stuck, you may, well, why don't you try to pray and consider who's someone else helpful that you could bring into this situation situation. It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to fix everything. But in, in, when there's significant conflict or significant struggles going on in our marriage where we've been stuck for a long time, that's when we probably need to reach out to a pastor or reach out to a community group leader or get some counseling in this area uh, of our marriage. So that can be another kind of uh, action item. And then I'll end with this before we go on to uh, the next point. Um, husbands, I would encourage you to be vulnerable with other men. Like where we feel often most insecure, um, or let's just say one of the areas we often feel insecure is in our relationship with our wife. Um, one of the things I always say is like being a pastors can be being a pastor can be hard. Whatever job you have is hard and comes with its difficulty. But I think it's ten times harder to be a, a husband uh, and a dad than it is to be any of these things uh, that we do for a living. Because uh, there's just more weight here. There's, more, there's just so much. There's more baggage here. There's more vulnerability here. Um, and, and husbands, we, we need to have other men in our lives that we can be vulnerable and talk to about those kinds of things. Uh, the more isolated we are in those areas, the more we will stay stuck and insecure and heavy with our struggle. And so, man, if you're, if you're a guest here, I just want to encourage you, like in our community groups, I'm not saying that happens perfectly, but that is the desire of those things, where we would do life with one another in those kinds of ways. And so I'd encourage you, reach out, get, uh, ask about how to get plugged into a community group. Go to the back and see a group that uh, works for you with your night of the week or in your area and get to know, I mean, so maybe Maybe you don't go the first night and you're not vulnerable about all this going on, but you get to know brothers in that area, uh, in that group that you can begin to uh, be more vulnerable with. 
Um, this is the kind, there's a kind of conversation that the world ignores, um, the world just does weird things with, and we want to be a place that doesn't ignore those conversations, uh, but presses into them and, and uh, considers what Jesus would have for us there. And so I would encourage you to think about maybe there's one or two of those things that you can do to live with your wife in an understanding way, to actually respond out of the, the way that you have gotten to know her. And then showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So kind of the first motivation that uh, Peter gives us is to, and it's just that we should honor our wives. And by weaker vessel, Peter is just referring to the obvious physical difference between males and females. This is, uh, there is a difference. Uh, does, obviously not all uh, men are stronger than all women. There are many women that are much stronger uh, than I am. But by a great majority, men are physically stronger than women. And in the Roman culture, uh, that exploited that in some horrific ways, Peter's saying, don't use your strength to dominate, but to protect. And also in the first century, women also had a weaker position in society. And so Peter is encouraged, saying, use your influence and position to honor and protect, protect those that are weaker. And actually, in, uh, again, in the Greek, you can see that it changes, or in the English, it reflects the Greek, that it changes from wife uh, to woman. It says, live with your wife. But it's just showing honor to the woman. And that is likely Peter actually broadening the category here and saying that men should honor women, especially those women that are in our influence and under our care. So uh, my daughters are in this day, there would be servants, there'd be uh, many people in the household. And Peter's saying you should not use your strength to dominate, uh, but to honor and protect uh, the women that are in your care. Um, if we think about husbands loving our wives as Jesus does the church, one of the things Jesus does is he uses his strength to protect the weak. I love Isaiah 42.3. It's just this beautiful picture of how the Messiah is going to protect the weak. Uh, listen to Isaiah 42.3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Jesus here in this picture is so gentle and so kind. In the church, me and you, men and women together, are this bruised reed. You, if you don't know a picture of a bruised reed, just that plant that's just, it's, it's broken at the top. Like if a strong wind uh, were to come by, there would be no hope. But we can rest assured that Jesus is stronger than any wind. Were even a passerby to come by and mindless, mindlessly rip off the top of the reed, that would be it. But Jesus protects us in his embrace. Even if the, the very weight of the bruised reed itself were to pull heavily down and rip off, but Jesus holds us up and supports us, keeping us safe and secure. Jesus, the mighty and strong, cares for his weak, tender flock. Men and women, husband and wives, are all in need of this loving care of Jesus. And in our marriages, men, husbands, have a unique calling to honor our wives in the same way that Jesus honors the church. We get, to, we get to pursue that. We get to look to him and try to image him. Obviously, none of us are Jesus. And as husbands, we do and have and will get this wrong. Um, at times, we do the opposite of love, protect, and honor our wives. But the simple reality is when we do that, we need to... Go to Jesus and confess that and enjoy and seek his forgiveness. And then a common refrain in our marriage should be, 
I am sorry for blank. Will you forgive me? Uh, that, that we get this wrong and to simply admit that and ask for forgiveness. That obviously should be a mutual thing. Uh, it should be a mutual statement that comes from wives to husbands and husbands to wives. Uh, but here in this situation where we didn't honor, where we didn't protect, where we didn't use our strength and influence and whatever we have uh, to do those things, but we use them to tear down, those are the things that we confess. And, we, and I think we, do, we err on two, in two ways here. Sometimes we just confess those to Jesus and we don't talk to our wife about it or we just confess to our wives and we don't talk to Jesus about it. And we need to do both of those things, uh, that we've sinned against Jesus before we've sinned against our wife. And so we need to confess it to him. And then, uh, again, I am sorry for blank. Will you forgive me? Um, so the two commands, live in an understanding way and showing honor. And then the motivation obviously, for those, is because you're better than her and she really needs you. Because men are just a little better than women. Because men are smarter. No? Yeah. <laughs> you can fill in the blank with whatever kind of little you, lie you, you may tend to believe, but obviously the motivation is because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That men and women are completely and utterly equal uh, before God. There's no difference in standing, in our standing before God. Uh, as Peter says, we, they're heirs. We're co-heirs with each other of the grace of life. We're all dependent on Jesus. We're all e- uh, equally united to him. We're all equally uh, have this inheritance in him. And husbands, Peter is saying, this should encourage us to live with our wives in an understanding way and show them honor. Um, I'll say it in an extreme way. The reality is if, if we think anyone is less than, we can excuse a host of sinful behavior towards them. You can just see American slavery as an extreme example of that. Um, but in our marriages, we are to value each other as equals, seeing that our roles in marriage are opportunities to serve and celebrate one another, not domineer or demean. Husbands, we get to look at our wives as a beautiful heir of Christ, that she is going to dwell with him in eternity forever. And I think even if there's any good about our idealistic tendencies, it is in this longing for the place that will actually exceed all of our idealism. It's just that song we sing, that when we see Jesus, our idealism will actually seem silly in those moments. It will seem less than it will seem like our, we didn't hope enough in what uh, God had in store for us. And even some of our idealism is trying to bring what God has promised us into the now in a way that's more about our comfort uh, than about serving Jesus and living for him. Uh, but if there's anything good about our idealism, it's that, wow, we are one day going to live uh, in, a, in a reality better than even that uh, with all of God's people. Um, And I think what we should strive to do is have our equal standing before God and the eternity that we will spend with him, that those things need to dictate our view of one another more than society's ever-changing views. And so society views marriage in all kinds of different ways throughout all kinds of different generations and different cultures, and some of it's good, some of it's bad. Uh, We could learn from other cultures. They do things better than us, and we do things better than them. 
uh, but, but our standing before God and our eternity with him should be what influences our, our marriage, should be what influences how we see one another, not just whatever cultural things are going on uh, in the moment. And so the question is, how can you remind your wife about the inheritance she has in Christ, that she, y'all are co-heirs of this grace and life? What does it look like to remind um, the letter of Peter really is about living out our faith and sharing it regardless of the consequences. Like that's what Peter's about. It's talking about living out our faith, uh, living lives that reflect that we believe in the gospel, sharing this gospel, whether we get imprisoned, whether we get killed, whether we, no matter what happens, this is what our life is to be about. Um, and so if you think about the whole letter of Peter, that's what it's about. And our, our marriages should be little pictures of this should be little pictures of us doing this one one another. And, and um, wedding ceremonies, I, I use Colossians 3, 16, where it talks about the word of Christ. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonish one, admonishing one another in all wisdom. And, and one of the things that, that we got to realize is that as uh, husbands, like we get the uh, privilege and responsibility of being the one that shares the gospel with our spouse for the rest of our life. Um, and, and that is a beautiful uh, opportunity. And when we practice that in marriage, uh, there's a couple things. That's one of the things that, as uh, Peter goes on to say, you know, always be prepared to give an answer. That's one of the things that will happen. People will naturally see that there is something different uh, about our lives. There's something different about our marriage, and there's a chance that they might ask about it. But there's only that, but there's also just the practice. When you practice sharing the gospel with your wife, when you practice sharing the gospel with your husband, you're better prepared to share the gospel with your neighbor or share the gospel with your coworker. Because when I, when I worked at the post office, one of the things I found probably the easiest inroad uh, to sharing the gospel uh, with people was talking about their real life. Like what was going on with the struggles they had, uh, the successes they had, uh, the suffering that had come their way. Those all proved the easiest opportunities uh, to talk about who God is and what they believe about him and what I believe about who he is in, in these kinds of moments. And so, and part of that is when we rehearse that in our life and in our relationships, it becomes a little, not, I'm not saying I was perfect at it and not saying I didn't miss a lot of opportunities, uh, but that is one aspect where we get to uh, walk that out as husbands and wives. And here's the thing, we're, we're all in different areas here. We're all, maybe we, we feel like that's foreign to your marriage. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm not sure I've done that at all or very well or it's hard to remember. And so, I mean, we, you, you can stay in that insecurity or struggle or you can be like, okay, what does it look like to grow? What does it look like to take the first step to, to trying to understand what it looks like to apply the actual reality of the gospel to my marriage uh, in this way? Um, and we're all on different spectrums. So don't let a struggle with it keep you from uh, engaging or, or moving forward uh, in that. Uh, again, so how, how can we remind our wife about the inheritance they have in Christ? These are some of the ways. Do you have any mutual spiritual practices with each other uh, as a family? Uh, do you come together and read the Bible or pray? Or do you pray uh, at dinner? Use these as these kinds of opportunities to remind each other about uh, what y'all have in Christ. Uh, and then again, just the organic opportunities. When you're talking about life, Start to think, okay, what does it look like to include Jesus as a part of this? So someone who we think is like awesome at this, if you know anything about John Piper, uh, he just, you know, bleeds the glory of God in the gospel. And I remember hearing him one time that him and his wife had a habit of like getting lunch one day a week. And it'd been many years that they'd been doing this. And then he had shared a regret. He was like, man, 
I've missed so many opportunities to share the gospel with my wife in these lunches. Uh, like it just can be it's something that we just kind of blank on and don't think about and something that we can realize, oh, we get the opportunity. And so what are those natural connections that you already have and you can respond uh, to your wife by reminding her who she is in Jesus and what she has in Jesus? Um, I don't have this in my notes, but I, I just also want to acknowledge there's times where it's like there, there's conflict, there's struggle, uh, there's ways you maybe have tried to do this and it's gone bad. You're like, you know, there's a conflict here and you're trying to genuinely bring up Jesus or maybe you're selfishly doing it. I don't know. Either way, it's just gone bad uh, when you've tried to share the gospel with your wife or, or kind of take your marriage uh, in that direction. I just want to acknowledge that's a reality and that can happen uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, some, some people are married to someone that isn't a Christian. And so uh, that can be, there can be a hostile reality there. Sometimes there's so much baggage and so much conflict in an area that it's really hard for your wife to hear this from you. Um, and, and that's just, in some ways, just needs to be acknowledged. Uh, and you can't just keep beating against that, but you do need to try to figure out how to work through that. Um, and so I'm not saying just when you do this that it's always going to go great and awesome all the time. Again, what is that? That's idealism, kind of creeping into uh, the reality of trying to live uh, with our wives in an understanding way. And so... Uh, Again, if you feel like you're not mature enough to do uh, these kinds of things, do them as you seek to grow uh, in maturity. And then Peter concludes uh, with uh, kind of his final motivation, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So really, as you read this little verse 7, this is written to praying husbands. It's written to husbands that pray. So if you're not a praying husband, this does not apply to you. And if you're not a praying husband, your wife might be married to an unbeliever. Like this is written, like Peter is assuming husbands are praying and they actually desire to have a fervent prayer life. Like something getting in the way of their prayers would bother them. So they're, they're, they're praying husbands and they're, they're husbands that like as they pray, they really desire for their prayer life to have an impact, have an effect on their life and in the world uh, around them. Um, that is who Peter is writing to. So that obviously is uh, it's just God's word. It's a sharp rebuke to any husband that does not pray. Um, and so when we aren't understanding our wives or showing them honor, our prayer lives with them uh, will be hindered. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a couple ways that uh, this is interpreted. One, it's like obvious, the obvious you see God responding to people that aren't living this way and their prayers are hindered. But the other way is obviously, as you know, when there's conflict in marriage, uh, if you are praying with your wife, those prayers are hindered. That there's a value, like there's great power in a, in a marriage and in a couple and a husband and wife coming together in prayer. And Peter's saying, you shouldn't hinder that. You should desire that. You should just desire for that to keep happening. And so that's one of the reasons you need to continue to live with your wife in an understanding way uh, and show her honor. Um, as couples, we are at our strongest when we are praying together. Uh, the scriptures call us to much more than prayer. Uh, the scriptures call us to all kinds of things that we need to be doing. Uh, but if we want to know where power lies in life and obviously in our marriage, it's in our prayers with and for one another. So just maybe as you think about praying and praying with your wife, Consider what it might look like to pray together. Or where do you need to grow in prayer? Think of these three things and maybe pick one uh, that you could grow in. 
Uh, do you need to grow in personal prayer? Like your just personal prayer life is not that fervent. And again, we can all pray more. Like there's none of us here. It's like, oh, no, I pray actually maybe a little too much. Um, none of us are saying that. So I'm not saying like the guilty, like we could all just feel guilty that we need to pray more. But I just mean as best as you can objectively consider, do you need to grow in your personal prayer life? Do you need to grow in praying for your wife? Or do you need to grow in praying with your wife? So personal prayer, praying for, praying with. If I'm going to pick one of these, I'm going to pick praying with. Uh, my personal prayer life is so good, guys. So, so great. Um, no, but I'm just saying if I struggle with one the most, it's probably remembering to pray for my wife. Like we actually pray together. Uh, I pray, uh, but I don't do a great job of having like a systematic way of remembering, oh, these are some ways I can be consistently praying for ginger. So if I'm picking one of these, that's why, okay, what would it look like for me to grow in that? Maybe y'all, you don't pray together much, so it'd be like trying to start that. Maybe you feel lacking in your personal prayer life, so you want to start growing there. Uh, but seek, pick one of those and, and seek to grow in it um, as you live with your wife in an understanding way and show her honor. Maybe it's even just starting to pray uh, about those things. So conclusion, let's end with just some real honest talk, if we haven't been honest enough already, uh, about marriage. Um, I'm just going to say this. Like, men, like some of you struggle to live with your wife in an understanding way and show honor to her because you have significant baggage that you just need to work through. Significant personal baggage uh, that um, really gets exposed uh, in struggles in marriage. Um, just consider, consider some of the hard things that can happen in marriage. The list could be so long. Health and medical issues. Dishonesty and sin issues. Difficulties with sex. Uh, consistent conflict. Extended family struggles. Kids and all the joy and hardness that comes with that. Financial difficulties. Um, as you think, maybe in your marriage, you, you're struggling with some of those right now. You have struggled with those. Um, husbands, if you don't deal with your own baggage, and if you continue to minimize and ignore the ways you are responding to the difficulty in your marriage, you're not going to be able to live with your wife in an understanding way. Like if you, when those things happen, you don't uh, try to understand those like deep responses that come from your heart that you know are bad, but you seem to have no control over. If you don't deal with that, uh, you're just going to kind of stay stuck. Proverbs 20 verse 5 is a really helpful verse in this way. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Let me read that again. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. It's, a, it's instructive for us. Our hearts, the, like the center of our will and our emotions, our desire, our spirituality, it's not some easy math formula. It's not two plus two equals four. Uh, there is a depth and a mystery to our hearts, and there is good fruit in trying to understand them. Not perfectly, but growing in our self-awareness. Um, and then we also need help. We need friends of understanding that can help us understand uh, ourselves. And so men, just don't be stubbornly isolated. Get over your pride and ask for help from a friend, from a community group leader, from a pastor. More of you are hurting than you than are admitting. And you need to ask for help and reach out for it. And, and uh, me and uh, Randy and Aaron were talking about this too. There's also those of you that are overly introspective. And don't be isolated in that. And maybe get over yourself a bit. Uh, the world doesn't revolve around you and you figuring yourself out. 
Um, do something with your hands. Create something. Hang out with friends. Go outside. Um, there, there's two extremes here. We don't need to, you know, like we have different tendencies and ways of responding and reacting to things. We can be overly introspective and just go down into this deep hole and like I'm the only one that can figure all of this out. No one knows all my woes. Um, and then there's the guy that ignores anything, even the most egregious outburst that he has towards his wife and kids. He's like, no, I'm fine. Um, and neither of those are a healthy road uh, to, if, if, we, if we stay stuck in those areas, it's really going to be hard for us to move towards our wife in ways of understanding and honor and prayer and reminding them of who God is. And in all of that, wherever you're at, husbands, mainly be sure that you understand that the God of the universe loves you. Like it's not a simple, it is a simple message, but the, that deep well of your heart that, that needs to be drawn out, what needs to be washed over that is God's love for you. There's nothing else that's going to fix that. You can take whatever medication you need to take, which I would encourage you to if you need to. You can go to whatever counseling you need to get, uh, which I encourage counseling. But if God's love for you doesn't wash over those areas, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It is the only hope that you and I have. Um, that, that, you, that you would realize that you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, as Colossians 1 says. And he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This, this is that good news that we get to remember and consider and need to wash over us. And to the degree that it does that, then we will uh, joyfully remind our wives about this great news. And joyfully try to understand where they are go- what's going on in their lives so they can understand this news more deeper and fuller. That we can honor them in this way as, as God has honored them in this way. God honors your wife. And so we're just, he's done it long before, God honors Ginger long before I ever will. So I'm just joining him in what he's doing um, and speaking this good news over her, or at least I want to be. Uh, But again, I need to believe it in those areas of my life where I'm most prone to just respond in all kinds of weird ways because I'm jacked up. I've got baggage. I've got sin. I've got sin I'm unaware of. uh, And I need help understanding those things, and and so do you. Um, And because of this great news, there is great joy to be had in marriage. There's great joy to be had in marriage when we flee from our idealistic views and follow the teaching of God's word. And this is the beautiful calling is where joy is found in your marriage. So let me just restate these points in, in kind of a, a joy ending kind of way. As, 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 as we believe the gospel, we get to walk in these in joy. That it's not just a hard job or hard work that we need to do. So husbands, enjoy understanding your wife. Enjoy living with your wife. Enjoy honoring your wife. Enjoy reminding your wife. And enjoy praying with and for your wife. Let me pray for us towards this end. Lord Jesus, you are the perfect husband. And as much as that can be hard for us as men and husbands to to understand, uh, it it is what we need to hear and what we need to know, that you are perfect in every way. And in any way that we would want uh, to be able to treat our wife or want our wife to be able to come to us, you do all of that to us perfectly. Perfectly. 
So Holy Spirit, I ask for your help that we would know that, that we would believe that, that we would, Spirit, would you just reveal and expose the areas of our life where we do not believe that so we can come to see Jesus tending and care, that we are bruised reeds, that he is so kind and so loving to and will, will keep us and help us persevere uh, towards the end. And Spirit, I, I just lift up the marriages in this room, those that are right now and the, and the ones that will happen uh, in the future. And I just pray that you would help our marriages, the, the marriages of this church and the marriage of your global church, be places that aren't consumed with our selfish desires and our own uh, fickle, temporary comforts, but are consumed with more of you, Jesus, more of you for ourselves, more of you for each other, more of you for this world, that our, our marriage would shine through in all of her imperfections. That, that you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise, and you have done more for us than we could ask or imagine. Would you recenter our hearts and mind around uh, marriages that are just centered around you, Lord Jesus? Uh, Jesus centered marriages. What a, what a gift that would be, Spirit. Would you do that kind of work? We need so much help, so much daily help. We need each other. We need all the resources you've given us to, to pursue this end. Um, so would you help us? in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.